Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. It's good to be with you again. Hope your Advent is continuing to be at least somewhat peaceful in the midst of this hectic season. We are in the midst of a sermon series here at my church called Another Way to the Manger, where we are exploring and reminding ourselves that Jesus was born into a real world uh, with real power and exploring especially empire and what that means, both the empire that Jesus was born into and what empire means for us today and different facets of that and how it impacts our faith. So today I'm going to read a familiar story from this time of the year. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So on Sunday, when I preach the sermon, I'm going to have my son uh, come up with me, or at the very least, I'm going to be borrowing one of his toys. Uh, he just received it for his birthday last week. It is BB-8, who is the, which is the new robot on the Star Wars movies. Of course, the movie has not that movie has not yet come out yet, but the merchandise is in full swing, and uh, Ethan received that as well. And it's a remote robot, so it um, goes along as a little circle, and on top is the head that seems via magnet to stay on no matter how this robot rolls around. And there's a remote control as well that can make it go forward and backward, all the things that a remote control does on a certain toy. And as with any remote anything, I always am fascinated by how it works. I think we're all used to remote controls when we use our televisions, but on toys, it just reminds me of just how ingenious remotes are. Because I 
when I look at it, I think, how is this little piece of plastic controlling this little robot thing, making it go all around and roll and backward and forward? And of course, there are no strings involved. It's like a magic trick when a magician takes that hula hoop to show you there are no strings. How do I make this um, thing do it uh, almost by magic? Some kind of ray beams shooting out of it. I have no idea, but it's always something that just puzzled me and gives me even more respect for scientists and people who invent things like remote controls. But as I was watching my son play with this, and he was the one who was in control of the robot because he had the remote. And it made me think this week of this text and of this sermon series, especially in dealing with empire. Empires love control. They love to control things. And so in, before we unpack that, I think it's a question for us to ask near the beginning of this podcast, what controls things? Of course, because I'm a pastor, I ask the next question, who or what controls me or you? We may say to ourselves, well, I control me. I'm in charge of me. But when we really think about it, what are the things that guide us and direct us? It's an important question for us to think about as we get into this text. So again, as I noted, this sermon series, Another Way to the Manger, during this Advent season, it's easy to remember simply Jesus as this cute baby in a manger. But again, we need to remember that Jesus was born into a real world that had real political systems. And specifically, he was born into the Roman Empire. We see this at the very beginning of the text today. In those decrees went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Emperor Augustus was really the first, also he was Octavian before he became Emperor Augustus, had been emperor for about two decades or so. So this is the beginning of kind of the the Roman Empire that we know today. So we're going to look at the Roman Empire and also a fictional empire and also reflect on what controls us in our own worlds too. So here we have this text, this verse that tells us that Mary and Joseph went to be registered. So what does that mean? Actually, it's a census. And this is not just a census so that as we know them today where people get counted so we know how they are going to be represented politically. One of the main reasons for this was money. There's lots of debate among scholars about this uh, when they look at other pieces of historical documents There is no mention of a worldwide census that Luke talks about here. And so scholars go back and forth about, did Luke get the timing wrong? Did they really, did Mary and Joseph really have to go back to their hometowns to be counted? But there's one thing I think that historians do agree on, that there were censuses taken. And money wasn't the only reason the Romans wanted control. Certainly they wanted to know who were we going to tax to make sure that this machine of the empire continues and thrives. But the empire, the Romans, also wanted to control hearts and minds. I think it's important to note that Augustus did bring peace. A lot of innovations happened during the Roman Empire. And because Augustus brought peace to the empire, many altars were erected throughout the empire to honor him. I'll put another link to a picture that or a map so you can see the vastness of the Roman Empire on my Podbean page. And so altars were erected to honor Augustus and his bringing about peace in the world. And it wasn't just altars that people um, erected in order to honor and praise Augustus. There were Greek cities in 
what then was called Asia Minor. And they adopted September 23rd as the birthday of Augustus, uh, which, I'm sorry, uh, 20, September 23rd was the birthday of Augustus, and they adopted that as the first day of the new year. And in doing so, people called Augustus Savior. A stone inscription has been found that at an ancient city in what is now Turkey, modern-day Turkey, that called Augustus Savior of the whole world. Savior of the whole world. Does this sound familiar at all to us? The empire, the Roman Empire, wanted everyone to know just where peace was coming from. Now flip that to the text we read today from the Gospel of Luke. The scholar Robert Brown says that Luke is challenging, the writer of Luke is challenging Augustus' propaganda and claiming and claim to being Savior. Brown says this, The birthday worthy of divine honor and marking the true beginning of time took place not in Rome, but in Bethlehem. Brown notes again that another inscription was found describing Augustus, The birthday of the God has marked the beginning of the good news for the world. Now you may be picking up on familiar words and phrases here, Savior, Savior of the whole world, marking the beginning of good news for the world. But instead, God, as Luke is writing this down and encapsulating the story, Luke is saying no. In his text that we read today, I announced to you, the angel says, I announced to you that good news of great joy will be for the whole people. To you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah and Lord. Luke is saying that God is saying Augustus is not the one who is the savior of the whole world. Augustus is not the one who will bring true peace to the world. Instead, this is Jesus. It's a pretty radical thing to say in this text, in this gospel, for Luke to be saying this, for Luke to be interpreting that God has said to the world, no, it's not the emperor, it's not the Roman emperor who wants to be controlling not only your money and your hearts and minds, it is God who is the one who is overseeing it all. So pretty clearly, these little group of Christians, as they begin to first start out, are making some pretty bold going against the empire, saying, Augustus, that the emperor is not the one in charge, and that's God. God, who's the creator and ruler of the universe. And Christians lost, early Christians lost their lives because of this. So we ask ourselves again today, what or who tries to win our hearts and lives now? Well, we want to share a contemporary example of this, a contemporary fictional example from the movie The Hunger Games, the latest version or uh, the latest installment of which happened or came out a couple weeks ago. I'll confess, I've seen the first two of these, so I've not seen the whole part of or all the series of, of The Hunger Games, but I know a little bit about it. So for those who have not seen it, there is uh, an empire of sorts called Panem which largely occupies what was formerly North America. Its residents live in the capital, and there are 13 other distinct uh, districts, geographical districts. The powerful, the elite, and wealthy live in the capital along with the leaders of Panem's dictatorial government. But districts are governed by this regime, and they face constant oppression as they fulfill what the capital sees as their sole purpose for the nation, and that is to produce goods and services for the people of the capital, the rich and the wealthy. 
Most of the districts, the people are poor, and they're dependent on the welfare of the government, and they live in fear of what happened if they step out of line. So we see here massive, major control here by the capital, and specifically by the president of this uh, empire called Coriolanus Snow. Now, every year they have what's called the Hunger Games, and the capital established this for the purposes of keeping the districts in line and providing the citizens of the capital entertainment. What happens is there are 24 children between the ages of 12 and 18, one boy and one girl from each of the district, and they're chosen by lottery, and they're entered into essentially a gladiator competition where they must fight each other to the death until one remains standing. It sounds brutal, but in the movie it is shown. There's this very glitzy, wonderful way where the people of the capital are entertained by this very violent uh, competition. And so I'm going to show a clip, and I'll put this clip on my Podbean page as well. So one of the characters, the main character in this movie or in, this, in these books, Katniss, Katniss Everdeen, begins to win the hearts of those in the capital. And the president, Snow, begins to sense just a little bit that his power, that he's losing control, he's losing control that he desires, because that's what he wants more than anything. And so the remainder of this book and these movies are about how Katniss is able to try to gather others around her to overthrow this control and the power that uh, Panem has, that this President Snow and his uh, cohorts have. So it's an interesting look to, for us to think about both this story and the, and the story of the Hunger Games to begin to think, again, ask ourselves the question, who or what controls you? And our initial response, especially in the United States, we love to say that we love freedom. Right? We love to say that we are, the, we are in control of our own destiny. But if you really think about it, think about who is in control of you. What is in control of you? I was reading an article, this is a few months ago, by James Cameron, the director of movies like Titanic uh, and Avatar. And they're talking to him about robots and asking him, you know, when is there ever a fear that robots and computers will control the world? And Cameron said, I think they already have or already are. Jokingly, maybe not so jokingly, talking about how computers, uh, smartphones, robots control what we do and what we think already. So it's, I think it's important for us to really stop and answer, ourselves, answer that question. Like what, what truly, truly guides us in our lives? You know, one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith is that we have free will, that we can choose to follow, obey, love God or not. And if we choose not to, it doesn't mean that God turns God's back on us, but God does allow us that freedom of choice. If we choose, if we say that, well, God is the one who truly leads and guides me. God doesn't control me per se, but if we say I give my heart and my life to Christ through God, then then yes, we say this is the one essentially that quote-unquote controls us. But we have to ask ourselves, does God really give us that direction in our lives? And if we turn our back on God, or if we're honest with ourselves and answer, ask, well, what if God doesn't rule us, then what does? Consumerism? Violence? Political power? an obsession with prestige or wanting to be known, recognized, liked. All of these things, we ask ourselves, what is the thing that really controls us? It is a sense of patriotism that controls us, whatever it is. 
And perhaps this is what Luke is getting at in telling us the story. This is what God is getting at when the angels make the proclamation that essentially Augustus is not the one to bring peace. It is Jesus, this little baby born in a manger. I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, about a review or an overview of the TED Talks. You may be familiar with TED Talks, these 20-minute or so presentations that people from lots of different fields make and, and share. And so there's a podcast that takes a theme and then takes four or five um, pieces of TED Talks that go into and cover that theme. And so I was reading or listening to this podcast about this man named John Francis. I had never heard him before, heard of him. But it's interesting to me as I was listening to him, and here is a person who did not let society control him. So John Francis grew up in California. He was in his 20s, 1971, when there was an oil spill in San Francisco. And he tells the story of being jarred by this oil spill, of seeing this happen and being jarred by his, out of his comfortable life. And he joined in with volunteers who scrubbed beaches and, and fought to save birds and, and sea creatures. And he felt, in doing this, he felt a, a strong commitment to the planet, a more deeper, more personal commitment to it. So he made a decision. He said, I am going to stop using motorized vehicles. I'm not going to drive them. I'm not going to ride in them. Talk about going against what society says, in a sense, controls us saying, well, in order to survive, you have to at least, at least ride in motorized vehicles. Maybe you can say, I'm not going to drive, but you must ride in them. But he is beginning to say, no, no, you don't. And he started walking everywhere. And then he did something interesting, too. He was thinking about how he had stopped really, truly listening. Listening to the earth, listening to people around him. That he was always quick to speak, that he was always quick to argue with somebody else and forming arguments in his mind. So he decided, I'm going to, for a day, so I'm going to start or not speak, just for a day, see how it goes. And he discovered just how much he was missing by not listening. So he started to do it a little bit more and a little bit more until he he was able or made the decision to stop speaking, literally stop speaking, for 17 years. Now, in the midst of this, he walked. He walked everywhere. He walked across the Pacific Northwest, the Sierra, the Rocky Mountains. He was able to earn undergraduate, master's degrees in science and environmental studies, a PhD in land resources, became an expert on the impact that oil spills have on the environment. He published an autobiography called Planet Walker, all while not speaking. And all the while, he says, especially his father kept saying, you cannot do this. Eventually, you're going to have to talk. You're going to have to be able to, to ride, at least ride in motorized vehicles. But he was able to do this for 17 years. Talk about a society, in a sense, quote unquote, controlling him, saying, well, if you're going to survive in this society, you have to at least do these things. But John Francis kept saying, well, no, no, you don't. He was so committed to the environment and its care and recovery that he was going to do something so radical as this in order to bring attention to it. So now, of course, you're asking, well, surely he had to start talking, and he did. He came to the conclusion that actually that the silence also was becoming a prison in, its, in and of itself. It, the silence was beginning to control him, too, and he was becoming, in a sense, enslaved to it. And he knew in order to have an even bigger impact, he knew he needed to start speaking again. And so on Earth Day, 17 years after he stopped speaking, he started sharing again. And what strikes me, strikes me so much about John Francis is that 
he was so committed to this one thing that he was willing to go against what society says in order for you to thrive and survive. He was willing to go against that in order to make his point made. He was not willing to let others control him because he was so committed to this. So that is our question. In this season, when we think about the coming of Christ, the season of Advent, this can be a time for us to really not just celebrate and rejoice in this event, but also to think about this, these words that the angels said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that God is the one who gives us true peace? Or if we are honest with ourselves, do we say, well, no, actually it's something else that I think brings me peace. And we need to begin to shift that. Have we given up control over to others in our society who would say violence is the way? who would say that consumerism is the way, who would say that power only in the hands of a few is the way. Have we just given up and say, well, okay, just as long as I can have my few little niceties in life, then that's all right. But if we are honest with ourselves, we say, no, we want God to rule over us. We want God to be the one, through Christ, to be the one that leads and guides and directs us. If we're honest and true to that, then we have to make some really hard sometimes and big decisions that we will not let our society control us, but instead we will let God rule us. And when we do that, that begins to have an impact on others as well. We won't have remote controls as much perhaps sometimes as we would like to control others, but by our actions that will have perhaps the same impact as a remote control would have as well. May our actions and beliefs and way we live our lives have that same impact. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening. And again, I hope this season of Advent has been blessed for you. Um, As always, feel free to reach out to me, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm happy to connect with you. Uh, But until next week, I hope you have a blessed week. May the peace of Christ be yours. And thou my 